Yeah, hey, we are thrilled you're here. If I don't know you, I'm Paul, just one of the pastors and one of the many teachers who get a chance to, to lead in this church, especially if you're new. Yes, thank you for coming. And uh, Stephen uh, wants you to know that on behalf of this church, we even have welcome cards like right out the table under the tent. We have a gift for you if, if that's you um, this morning. And that gift can, here's the hint, you can drink that gift. It is caffeinated, and it can be cold or hot. So that's at a local coffee shop if it's not obvious, and you will love it. So please take us up on that. We'd love to get to know you more. Hey, shifting gears, this last week has been a very difficult one for me. Some of you who've been here um, more than just like now know that my mom actually died about a week ago, and she was often right up here in the front of the church, almost like leading the way in worship and her delight in Jesus. And the last week of her life was like so meaningful. I was with her in an ICU uh, room for most of a week uh, visiting her. It culminated with basically the best way I can describe it is a worship service in her room. I, I think the nurses, when you, you get to that level of closeness, they just sort of say whoever, however many. And there were like 12 or 13 of us in there worshiping, praying, speaking words of encouragement to her, wondering, can you hear us? How well can you hear us? And believing she could hear us, because get this, we no sooner end the worship service. Like a, a lot of us left. My wife, Jenny, stayed with Claire singing over her. She loved to worship, guys, those of you who know her. Um, and then within about 10 minutes of like our worship ending, she just took her last breath. It, it was almost like she knew this service is over and I am stepping in to the worship of God a service I'd been waiting for all along. And it was so meaningful. Guys, I didn't know I could cry so many tears in a given week. Little things, small things trigger them, and I am more and more comfortable in my tears. And I don't mean like, ah, oh, is that something in your eye? I mean sometimes just honestly losing it. But, you know, it was so meaningful to, um, as we went through some of my mom's stuff, that's weird, you know, but like I realized my mom kept everything. Here is a letter from me to my mom that I wrote two weeks into my freshman year in college. And she kept it. And I wanna read to you some of it, um, not all of it, because honestly, there are so many things in here that are really embarrassing to me. I'm not joking, especially how I related to this high school sweetheart. Um, so uh, you'll get some of it, but um, this is, um, it's called paper, it's like papyrus. It's an old <laughs> form of communication. We use these ink quills called pens. Anyways, um, here's some of it. I, dear mom, I love you so very much and I miss you very much. I love to hear from you and hear about what an awesome God we have. Interestingly, we had just become Christians right before that as a family. Everyone came to follow Jesus except my dad within a couple months span. So we were all just sort of new in the faith. In the last few days, I've been in a depression, it seems. Right now, Jenny and I are kind of separated. This is where I have to pause. Like, <laughs> It's really true. For like a month, I was crying, it was cloudy, every country song made sense. Like, it, I'm not joking, like I was heartbroken, you know, breaking up with her. I can connect with you if you've been through this. I'm not joking. It's real. Okay, anyways, let me fast forward. I wrote, I'm going to be in a fellowship meeting tonight. I can't wait. Um, and, and I'll talk about that in a second, but a little bit more. But um, as for the last couple of days, I've never felt uh, more torn up in my life. I felt so distant from God, and yet I've been constantly in prayer, calling out to God for answers. I do believe 
um, much of it is because of a lack of fellowship. I miss you and being able to praise God in any room of our house, um, more stuff. And I was with, and I miss my group of friends, Brennan, Robert, and John, and Jenny, spending time with her. Uh, so, so more than anything, I need a family here. And I just know God will provide through the Salt Company. That's the name of the ministry I'm going to get involved with here at college. I had never gone. Some people invited me to this college group. I'm like, okay. I just know all I do is cry about this girlfriend that I broke up with, who incidentally, three years later, I married. She's my wife, you know. So it all, it all worked out. But, um, but I, just needed, I just needed a group. I just needed a ministry. And, and then like a day or two goes by and I wrote like the last page to the letter. So let me flip ahead. Mom, I'm back. Um, I went to the fellowship gathering, the salt company, and it was fantastic. I met the best of brothers and sisters. What a great little sermon and the song set me right at ease with God. I loved it. And mom, everything will somehow be okay with Jenny and I. I know this because I love her. You know, I mean, it's like, oh my word. You know, I can't read anymore because it's, uh, it, it's too much. Uh, but guys, you might be new to college. You might be new to this church. You might be kind of like I was. And you might even be asking like I was asking, where should I go to church? Like, honestly, what college ministry should I be involved in? I need anything. I just need friendship and fellowship. But what would be the kind of church that would be one worth going to or a ministry worth joining? Like, what does God value? Is it like um, the one with a big building, one with the most people? Is it one that sings songs like I'm used to? Or it, what is it? I, don't, I didn't even know how to answer the question. I was just a new Christ follower. We're going to open up to a book of the Bible this morning that will answer that question, even in the opening chapter. Because as we open up the Bible to this letter of 1 Timothy, we're going to get a glimpse of the church that God had intended from the beginning. And I want to invite you into it. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up with me to 1 Timothy. If you don't have one, my word, please don't feel out of place here. We have so many people coming from so many different walks of life. You could look on your app. We'll give you a Bible out at that tent, you know, afterwards if you want one. And we always put the verses up on the screen. 1 Timothy is where we're at. We're looking at the church and what God valued in a church. And let me start with the first couple verses. The letter opens like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me hit pause. Bible letters started a lot like our letters, right? And honestly, the beginning is like the envelope. You know, who it's from, Paul, you know, and that, ironically, that, this one's from Paul, you know, like, but actually lived in my dorm or whatever. And then who it's written to. This one's Timothy. This one was to my mom. And honestly, I wasn't even good at letters. Instead of writing Helen Sabino, I just wrote mom, <laughs> you know, so hopefully it finds its way, you know, but like I did put an address. I knew that. But like mom. Well, the Bible has lots of letters in there. This one was written by Paul, and we learn a little bit about him right from the beginning. Not more than his name. Paul, it says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God and our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Let me just grab one of those words, apostle. Apostle literally means one who has been sent on behalf of another. Honestly, maybe like your mom said, oh, go upstairs and get your brother or sister. It's time for dinner. And if you went upstairs and said, it's time for dinner, 
And I say, who do you think you are? You could say, I'm an apostle because you were sent from someone to tell them a message. Like loosely speaking, an apostle just speaks on behalf of another. Narrowly speaking, within the Bible, it refers to a small group of people that had actually spent time with Jesus, number one, and could do miracles by God. Paul was one of those guys. Jesus met with him after he was resurrected, taught him, and actually Paul was able to do miracles from God. Now, here's what's different about this letter. Paul doesn't normally come out of the gates opening his letters, and he wrote a lot of them. Once he got excited about Jesus, God used him in a lot of people's lives. Paul doesn't normally start off with, I'm an apostle. It's like, Paul, why are you flexing on us? Like, why drop that term, apostle? Whoa. He is doing that on purpose because something is threatening the health of the church that Timothy is a pastorate. And right from the start, he's not doing that for Timothy's sake. Other people are going to hear this letter and they need to know I'm speaking with the authority of God because he's about to bring a correction. That's why. Now, the letter I already said was written to Timothy and he calls Timothy, look at that, my true son in the faith. My true son. He wasn't biologically like Paul's son. No, actually, Paul had gone through his town, Lystra, and probably in that first encounter, Timothy became a follower of Jesus. It's like this guy who knew Jesus randomly met this other guy, and he came to find faith in Christ. In fact, he grew so much in his faith that about two years later, Paul came through his town again and said, come with me on this journey. And Timothy got busy with Paul helping to start churches wherever they went. And like, just pause real quick on like the Bible lesson. This stuff is happening right now. Men and women, God is sovereignly intersecting people's paths. In fact, I would guess there are people right now who are like Timothy. I mean, you didn't expect to run into a Paul. You didn't expect to run into that person, you're like, oh, pancake dance party or whatever it was. You're like, I never even put those two together. One's breakfast, one's dancing. Bam, you know. And here, you know someone who knows Jesus, and maybe you're going to come to follow him also and find forgiveness. Like God is still meeting people in the most random of ways. And like Timothy was a pastor at a church that would get started later, this church in Ephesus, so too churches are getting started. Guys, two years ago, this church started. Look at what God's doing. And you know what? Our hope, all our dream is that this church only is a part of more churches getting planted, not just in this country, in this state, but literally to the ends of the earth that need to hear the hope we have in the Bible. Guys, this stuff is happening. That's what I'm saying. And you are here. And I believe God is inviting you into the story. How cool. Paul, an apostle, to Timothy, but after a very short greeting, he just gets right to it because he has something weighty. I'm going to read the rest of this chapter. Go ahead and follow along with me as, uh, as we kind of get into the meat of it. 1 Timothy 1.3 says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. 
But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and, re- and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murders, for the sexually immoral and males who have sex with males, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God who was, which was entrusted to me. I give thanks, this is Paul talking, to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Wow. Now, a lot of that is Paul's story about how he came to follow Jesus. We're actually gonna handle that next week, and I'm gonna spend time focusing in on the first part of the letter. Right out of the gate, Paul confronts false teachers and false teaching. Look with me again at verse three. We're gonna zero in now. Paul tells Timothy, pastor in that one of the pastors instruct certain people not to teach different doctrine or pay attention to myths and genealogies. He says instruct them. Instruct is a strong military command. So like a commander would say this to a subordinate. And this is a strong word. And Paul is using that strong word like he was in the military talking to his son. Look, you need to instruct, command certain people to stop teaching wrong doctrine. And then others were listening to their doctrine, and I think to them, or pay attention to myths and genealogies. Look, here's the reality of what was going on in this church. It started off super well. Ephesus was a model church. It had been going on for 10 years. The gospel had spread all throughout Asia, but now false teachers had come in and were starting to teach things that weren't the gospel. They were totally different than what they had started with. And not only that, they were listening to myths and genealogies. It's hard to pin down with accuracy exactly what those myths and genealogies were. But you don't have to be an English major to know that, hey, in the Greek world, they had a lot of myths, right? The Greek world with all of its gods. And then genealogies, people from a Jewish background at that time really made much of like, well, my dad and our family name, and we were part of this tribe back from the people of Israel. Maybe they were elevating those things too highly, But the result of them paying attention to different doctrine and missing genealogies was this. And this is why the language is so strong. Look at verse 4. These promote empty speculation rather than God's plan which operates by faith. You keep listening to that junk. When that kind of junk's allowed in the church, it, it promotes empty speculation. Just a waste of time. Just dumb arguments. Rather than God's plan that's by faith. Look, listen to me. Some Christians love to major on the minors. 
They just wanna make a big deal out of little deals and focus all their time there and they miss the gospel. Back then they had lots of things. It was like, ah, miss genealogy. We don't, we don't talk about that now. Here, we have tons of people who, not in our church, but I mean, churches are sometimes filled with people just constantly infighting. You know, I, I think that, that these six days are, is literal creation because you can tell by Genesis 1 of them. You know, no, I think it's actually periods of time. They're fighting forever, like, and they will be fighting until Jesus returns and sets them all straight. I'm like, big picture, God's a creator. Can we go there, you know? Or uh, let's fight about whether or not there should be drums. Or did you see that writing on someone's arm? I think it's called a tattoo. You know, like people find things to fight about, you know, always dancing. Should you be doing that? You know what dancing leads to. You know, like forever fighting about dumb things. And it's like, here's, it's just leading to endless speculations, a bunch of stupid arguments. You're wasting your time. And here's what happens. It pulls away from God's plan that operates by faith. I want to ask you, what is God's plan that operates by faith? Is it not the gospel? Look, I didn't know what kind of church to be a part of as a freshman. <laughs> I didn't know where to go. All I knew is I was crying a lot about breaking up with a girl. The church that I desperately needed, and by God's grace, the church I found, was one that was serious about the gospel. The gospel was the main thing. And Paul did not want this awesome church to be distracted from the main thing, which was the gospel. That was the heart of it. He wanted them to know the gospel. Guys, I'm telling you, it is so easy to be distracted from the gospel. It is so easy to be turned around from the most important thing. And guys, I think the bottom line becomes clear right from the beginning of this letter. And it's this, it'll be up on the screen if you're kind of into taking notes. The gospel is everything guarded at all costs. It's everything. It's the center. That's the church I needed, one that kept the gospel centered. Here's the thing. Some are maybe here this morning, and you're like, gospel, that sounds like you're talking about like gospel music. Like, what does gospel even mean? I, I just want to just set things straight for you real quick. You, you don't need to attend even like a world religions class. I'm just going to make, I'm going to give you the one-minute version. All the religions in the world except the gospel, you could clump together. They're all spelled the same. And now you're thinking, I'm uh, pretty sure Islam and Hinduism, one starts with an I, one starts like, No, no. You can spell all the religions in the world the same way. D-O. Do. Do, do, do. And do more. Do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. And whatever you do, keep doing it. Because religion is man's effort to please God. Do, 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 and hopefully in the end, the good will outweigh the bad. That's religion for you. It's all about how good you are, as if you could pat your back, I made it into heaven because I did enough. Religion is D-O. The gospel that needs to remain center in the heart of the church is spelled different. D-O-N-E, done. It's done. Jesus has done what you can't do. Well, you and I were over here just trying to be good enough, feeling all the weight of our guilt, and Jesus came for us. Jesus was perfect where we never could be perfect. Jesus did it all. He kept all the rules, and then he did something amazing. He went to the cross, and he was punished for all my sins and all your sins. Some of you feel the weight 
of your guilt. Some didn't even need to be at college long. Some feel like it was a backpack loaded with every book in the bookstore. You just, it's just weighing you down. Just feel it. You feel it. Jesus came to throw it off. Say, I paid the penalty for your sin, and you can be forgiven. You can be set free. Oh, the gospel is a message where he has done it all. And I'm telling you, that was my mom's hope. That was my mom's hope. One thing this church has been doing in this last year is a Bible reading plan called the 1002 plan. I'm always like a handful of days behind. I'm like, oh, let me share with you something God taught me. You're like, isn't that from last week? Yep. You know, so I'm a little bit behind always, it seems. My mom wasn't. I, I think that she maybe took this more seriously than anyone in the church. I didn't even know she was doing it. In fact, my daughter, we got her, I, we, another gal in the church gave her this, and my daughter spent time saying, here's how you could do a journal. That's like my daughter's handwriting, and thought, she's never going to do it. I doubt she'll ever do it. Yeah, right. My mom, day after day after day after day, every passage she journaled on what God was teaching her, and then ended it with prayer. And this is the greatest gift my mom left us. I'm like, who stole my mom's journal and wrote in her handwriting? I didn't even know this woman. Like the depth of her heart towards God. And I want you to know, as it relates to the gospel, listen to where my mom's hope was. This, this is a, from her journal entry on John 13, where um, Jesus was preparing for his own death. This is what my mom wrote at the end, and, and it'll be up on the screen too. This is her prayer. Dear God, Thank you for your son who paid with his life for my sins. Because of your precious gift of salvation, I have hope of eternal life. Death is not the end. My son Josiah read that. He dropped it and just started weeping. Because my mom's hope was beyond the grave. Death is not the end. She closed her eyes to our little worship service and stepped into another her faith wasn't in her own efforts. She knew that she was as broken as anyone in the room. Her trust was in Jesus. The gospel rang true. She gripped onto it and held it as something most precious. And death is not the end. My mom is with the Lord. I, she won't come back here. I will go to her, and I can't wait. Because the gospel needs to be center in all things. That's what Paul was arguing for. Because there were false teachers among them that were trying to derail it. Were trying to pull them away from the main thing. The goal was love that comes from a pure heart. A good conscience. A sincere faith. God wants that gospel to bear fruit. To love him. To love other people. But some had deviated. They pulled away from that. Now, I want to give you just a window in to what the false teachers wrongly understood and even let you know where they came from, because that's honestly a little bit haunting to me. First, what they wrongly understood. Look back with me at these verses and start with me in verse 7, and we'll kind of go slow as we go here. Paul says about these false teachers, they want to be teachers of the law. Look at the word law. That's a key phrase. We're going to look at that more. Although they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, 
but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy, irreverent, here comes the grocery list, for those who kill their fathers, mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, those who have sex with males, males who have sex with males, for slave traders, liars, perjurers. I mean, he could have gone on. There's a lot of laws in the Old Testament. Anything um, that's contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. Paul said that law, and by the way, there were 612 commands in the Old Testament. <laughs> like, we're guilty of like so many of them. <laughs> but the law, he goes, it's not meant for a righteous person. It was actually meant for the unrighteous person. Now, let me, stay with me. The law, a lot of it still does apply. Okay, so commands like, do not murder. That still rides, you know, that's still true. Do not lie. Yep, obey that one. There is the moral law of God that is just true of all times. But what Paul is, I think, trying to get at is they were wrongly using the law. They were wrongly understanding the purpose for which the law was given. It wasn't mainly for saints. It was for sinners. Saints are just anyone who's put their faith in Christ. If you've been forgiven by God like my mom, God calls you a saint. You're like, I'm not used to that title. It's true. Saint. The law wasn't primarily meant for saints. It was meant for sinners. Now, these guys are just doing all kinds of things wrong. They loved maybe old laws in the Old Testament that didn't apply anymore. But here's what they did also. They added laws. And you know some people, they just love rules. In fact, they'll make up new rules just so they can keep it for five minutes and look down on you who doesn't even know what it is. Like there is an arrogance that comes with just rules upon rules, laws upon laws. There is something attractive to the proud heart about legalism. And they were awesome at it. We will look further into the book of 1 Timothy. They did things like, we forbid marriage also. I think God's in heaven going, what? <laughs> like I created that, that's a great gift. That's my idea. No, you know, it's unholy. I mean, we're better than that. We don't need them. Like, forbid marriage? And you think yourself more holy? And we abstain from certain foods. You know, it's like, why? God created foods to be enjoyed. You know, why are you like that? There was something about them that loved rules and laws and loved judging people and loved shackling people to endless commands. I think sometimes that can still happen, honestly. And maybe not with those couple examples, but I think there is a law-happy crowd maybe still out there. Hey, no alcohol. Well, God's clear, don't get drunk. My word, it ruins people's lives. But not a glass of wine for someone who's of age, not a beer. Wait, what? Didn't Jesus, like, wasn't that his first miracle? He made more alcohol? Like, that doesn't even seem to make sense. No alcohol. No dancing, you know. No fun. I mean, it's like... You're kidding me. The church, the gospel sets people free to enjoy God. It's not license to sin. It's freedom from sin and a life lived enjoying God. It's like these people were about rules upon rules that just stifled people. And here's what we need to learn this morning. The law, the moral commands of God, they weren't for saints. They were meant for sinners. Look at Romans 3 with me. Track with me on this. It'll be up on the screen. Romans 3, another letter Paul wrote, gives you an insight into this. Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And here's the reason, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because 
By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Pause with me and stick with me right now. Paul says, the law was given so that every mouth may be closed. That is, you can't boast about how good you are to God. God will show you by the law, no, you desperately need him. The law was given so that no one would be justified in his sight. This crowd over here is like, oh, do, 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 I'll do all the laws. No, actually God shows you that you can't with the law. No one will be justified. No one will be good enough in God's eyes because they kept the law. No, actually what the law does is it, with it comes the knowledge of sin. Here's what I mean. Command of God. Here's one. Do not murder. You might go, good, good to go. Never killed anyone. And for those who probably arrogantly thought that, Jesus went a little farther in the Sermon on the Mount and said, let's talk about murder. Let's talk about hate. You ever hated someone in your heart? Ooh. I mean, my roommate, but I mean, who doesn't? You know, like... My spouse sometimes, I mean, honestly, my mom, my dad, I mean, you kidding me? Guys, and what Jesus does is he connects the heart motive of hate to the action of murder. And he says, guilty. The law says, do not commit adultery. And I'm sure a lot go, I've done it. And Jesus says, let's talk about lust. You ever looked at someone? and thought sexually about them, but they're not your spouse? And we go, <laughs> if we're honest. And Jesus connects what goes on in the heart where no one can see your thoughts, or so you thought, to the action of adultery. Lust is adultery in the heart. He, you ever wanted to steal something? And you go, I've never done that. And I'm like, yeah, you paying for your Netflix? Your Spotify, yeah. We go, but anyways, no, I've never done that. I've never stolen anything. You just wanted stuff that you don't have, and been discontent with what you do have. It's called greed. You're stealing that guy's stuff in your heart. I'm telling you, Jesus shows you with the law that you know what? We're all guilty. The law is just like the MRI that my mom had right before she died. My mom, we all wondered, has cancer spread from your lung anywhere else in your body? And I didn't know what an MRI was. I've been learning a lot this week. Magnetic resonance imaging. It's basically the way you can stick your head, your body in a machine, and they can look at your organs. And in my mom's case, her brain. And sure enough, through this resonant imaging that could look inside her body, it showed, yes, there it is, right there. Cancer has now made it to your brain, and they would find innumerable spots through her lungs and maybe moving to her bones also. Do you think anyone at UF Chance, one of the best hospitals in our country, do you think anyone there thought the MRI would cure my mom of cancer? No. It would only show her cancer. Does anyone think an x-ray will heal a broken bone? No. X-rays show you a bone is broken. And I am saying an MRI shows cancer, it never heals it. And in the same way, the law shows you your sin, but only Jesus Christ can heal you from it. See, that's what happens. 
I start talking about commands, and I too, I raise my hand the highest. I'm so guilty. I'm so broken. I carried so much shame in that backpack that I just walked through life with. But in a moment, when I put my faith in Jesus, and I went, I can't do. I can't do, and I can't undone what I have done. But Jesus, I hear that you've done it all for me. And I come to you. Would you forgive me? And in a moment... Jesus will forgive you of all your sin. Take that weight off you and give you his righteous standing. It was my mom's hope. It's my hope. It's the gospel. It's called good news for a reason. It's the best news there is. And Paul comes out swinging because he doesn't want people to miss that. And these false teachers were threatening it with their abuse of the use of law and all this kind of stuff. And here's the crazy part. Where had these false teachers come from? Are they from out there? Did they infiltrate in? Are they sheep? Are they wolves in sheep's clothing that made it in? No, no, no. They were likely leaders that rose up within the church. Guys, here's what's a little bit scary. Our battle isn't always with people out there. Sometimes we have false doctrine that just bubbles up in our own connection groups, in our own leaders. And we need to have the courage to lovingly say, that's not true. You don't need to go in with sword thrusts. <laughs> Try a scalpel. That's how a doctor does it. He's not trying to kill you. He's trying to heal you. And sometimes we need to have the same courage to say, that's not true. That's not right. That's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. And boldly keep the gospel the main thing. Protect it at all costs because that's the hope of the world. I thought about our church and I thought, how will we see lies coming? How will we know error when it, when it seeps in? How will we know false doctrine? Here's how you know it. You re get really good at knowing the truth. I spent a lot of time learning about how they spot counterfeit money. Too much time, honestly, on Google learning about this. That's I had a $100 bill with me. I handed it back to my brother because I didn't have one on me. And I said, I probably won't use this illustration. But now I am. I wish I had it. A $100 bill. And you know what? These guys, I can't tell you how many weeks they study and all the classes and, and how the paper's made and this percentage of this and this percentage of that. And then how you, they do the, the strip that glows different colors for different bills and are different lights and the, the scheme of the numbering and all that kind of stuff. I mean, these guys are good. But what I have understood at how someone who spots counterfeit bills, the way that they're trained is for a long amount of time, they are not allowed to look at a single counterfeit. For weeks and weeks and weeks on end, all they do is they study the real thing. Every edge, every bit of how it feels, every bit of how it looks. In fact, this one guy is so brilliant. He's like the best in the country. He can do it with his eyes closed. He just feels the paper, the coarseness of it, and he knows this is not legitimate. The way they know the lie is they handle just the truth for a long, long time. And then they go, oh, that's wrong, Th that's wrong. I see it now. And I'm saying to you, how will we know lies when it makes it into the church? Only if we know the book. Only if we know our Bibles. And I wanna say, not in a guilt-ridden way to Christ's followers, because guilt is no good motivator. It motivates for just a short amount of time. It doesn't do anything good in the long run. Because I just wanna ask a question. Your screen time, Dylan showed me how to check it. It will show you how much time you spent on different apps. It's pretty convicting, honestly. 
Would it say, would any app say, it had more time today from you than God got with you? You go, well, no, no, I'm doing good. Would any video game, if it could talk? Would any Netflix show, if it could talk? Would any trivial pursuit, and I'm telling you, it's me too, would anything say, it got more time than this book? I want to challenge, some of you who are just starting your college career, start the day hearing from God. Not from a professor, not from another book, not from another class. Start the day talking to God, not to a friend, not texting, not posting. Start the day with God and make it who you are. Know the truth so well, you can see a counterfeit a mile away. Get to know your God, and you will keep the gospel central. My son lovingly sat through the first message, and he encouraged me about many things that I shared. I said, that's great. He goes, Dad, here's just one tweak. And I said, what, what do I need to hear? I get to give this message again. He said, Dad, there are people who are likely coming and you just need to let them know that right now today, they could receive the gospel. They don't need to just hear that it's the hope of the world. Right now, some people feel the weight. They already feel the guilt of their sin. Like that backpack, that heavy load, that burden where we've seen the commands of God and we just go, failure, that's what I feel. Dad, give them an opportunity. And so I wanna say to you, if you haven't yet turned to Jesus, and asked him to forgive you. If today you hear his voice, even as I teach, today is the day of salvation for you. Today, as I pray, you can say, God, I'm guilty. The law did its job. It showed me like an MRI. It showed me like an x-ray. It showed me what was there, sin. I feel it. I know it. But guess what? Jesus Christ can cure that. He came and he died and was punished for your sins. He rose from the grave triumphantly, showing you he beat death. He can forgive you and fill your life with his joy. I want to give you the opportunity to respond and ask him to forgive you and to come into your life today. There is no better way to start this year than with him. Will you pray with me?